Let's turn over here to Ephesians chapter 3. This is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. There were two prayers prayed here in Ephesians. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, and also in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Now this is a powerful prayer, and we could spend time on all of these things, but just notice, he's praying that these people would be strengthened with might by His power in the inner man. And how does that happen? Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice, first of all, he says that Christ dwells in your heart by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. Did you know when you start understanding love, revelation knowledge of the Word will explode on the inside of you. And I could spend a lot of time talking about this, but understanding the love of God is a key to understanding the Word because God is love. Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. If we have misconceptions about love, if we think that God's love is conditional, if we think that He takes it away when we don't deserve it and He gives it when we deserve it, well, then we've missed the very nature and the character of God and you're going to misunderstand Scripture. Legalism blinds people to the revelation of God's Word. Legalism makes you spiritually dull and non-perceptive, makes you spiritually retarded. And I could spend a lot of time verifying that, but I hadn't, that's not my point tonight. I'm just going to have to say this and go on. But this scripture, see, is talking about that when you're rooted and grounded in love, you'll be able to comprehend with all saints. Comprehension, understanding is tied to a revelation of God's kind of love. If you are having a hard time understanding spiritual truth, you have a deficiency in understanding the love of God. So the key is to focus on the love of God and begin to start letting God reveal His love unto you and you'll find out that your revelation knowledge of the Word of God will just explode on the inside of you. It's a key. And it says that you'll be able to comprehend with all saints. That means that this isn't just for a selected few. It says all saints. This is a prayer for every person. You know, sometimes when you start talking about people receiving a revelation of God's love and things like this, people think, well, that's just for some people. Maybe you get that. Preachers get it. A few select people get it. But I'm an average Joe Blow Christian, and it doesn't work for me. It says this works for all saints. It's a prayer prayed for all saints. There's not a person in here that God wants you to be deficient in the knowledge of His love. And then notice, he says that you comprehend with all saints the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth. In other words, there are different levels of understanding the love of God. And I believe that this is where most people are. They understand that God loves them to a degree, and that's the reason that you aren't wiped out yet. But we haven't understood the depths and the length and the breadth and the height of God's kind of love. It's unsearchable. The Scripture even talks about that, the unsearchable riches of His grace. It's really beyond our ability to ever fully comprehend. But I can promise you, you can spend 20, 30, 40, 50 years delving into this, seeking it with your whole heart, and still never totally have it all. Boy, that's another reason. See, that when you talk about the love of God, some people think, well, I know that. A person that says, I know that, you hadn't really got a clue. 
Matter of fact, the scripture says, and anybody says, I know something, they know nothing yet as they ought to know. The more you know about the Lord, the more you realize that there is more to know. A person that says, man, I've got it all figured out is a person that hasn't got a clue. <laughs> Amen. You can learn tremendous amounts and find out that there is more. You start learning about the love of God and you get a little glimpse of it and it just like overwhelms you how awesome the love of God is. So there's height, depth, length, and breadth to the love of God that nobody can ever totally comprehend. You just get more and more into it, but you never totally learn it. And then in the next verse, verse 19, it says that you will uh, know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. If it passes knowledge, then how can you know it? Well, you know, those words right there, one of them is talking about a knowing that is a general term, and it, the first word, and it's uh, applied in a lot of different ways, but basically it could be described as an experiential knowledge, whereas the second word here is talking about just mental understanding, an exercise. That same word was translated science over in Second Timothy, where it's talking about just facts, knowledge, information. And so what he's talking about here is that you would experience the love of God, which passes mere mental understanding, intellectual knowledge. It's talking about an experiential knowledge. In the Bible, the scripture said often, you know, that Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived, and Cain knew his wife and she conceived, etc. And the word know was to talk about the most intimate personal relationship that you could have. And that's the way that the word's used here. He's saying that God wants to give you an experiential knowledge, a revelation of God's kind of love. And that passes knowledge. It passes mere mental understanding. Most of you, if I was to give a test and ask you pieces of information, facts, you could answer it and say, yes, God loved me. God loves me. And you could answer facts. But if I was to test you on concepts, did you know most people would fail miserably? Because concepts, see, are, are different than just intellectual facts. Many of us have facts up here, but it hasn't changed our concepts, our outlook, our way of looking at things. And we've got to go beyond mere mental understanding, and we've got to get an experiential knowledge that literally becomes a part of us that God loves us. And the last part of that 19th verse says that if you know the love of God, which passes knowledge, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. What an awesome statement. Let me make some statements based on that. If you are not filled with all the fullness of God, guess what? You don't have an experiential working knowledge of God's love. If that's true looking at that verse one way, well, then it's true looking at it the other way. If the conclusion of understanding God's love is you'll be filled with the fullness of God, then you can backtrack and say, if you aren't filled with the fullness of God, you have a deficiency in understanding the love of God. The love of God is the key to being filled with the fullness of God. God is love. When you're filled with love, you are filled with God. It's just real simple. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to get this one. Amen. God is love. When you're filled with love, you're filled with God. When you feel love flow out of you, did you know that God is flowing through you? This is a separate subject. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this is uh, some great stuff right here that has really helped me. That whenever you feel compassion, and there's a difference between sympathy, pity, a sense of guilt, etc., and God's supernatural compassion. But when you feel compassion, God's kind of love flow out of you. It's always God. God is love. 
And anytime you feel that love flow out of you, follow it, and you'll see the power of God manifest. I've used this thousands and thousands of times in operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And what I'll do is that while I'm ministering, I can, I can feel the love of God flow out of me towards people. And sometimes I'll zero in on people. And I can tell you that a certain person, God is ministering to them because I can feel the compassion of God flowing through me towards them. And many times what I'll do is just call them out and minister to them in the gifts of the Spirit. I don't have a thing to say. Don't have a word. Don't know anything. But I know that when love flows, God is flowing and that it will always be followed by a gift of the Spirit. And I've put myself on the spot thousands of times and wound up hitting it right on the nail on the head. People getting set free, delivered. Remember a girl over in uh, the United Kingdom, boy, as I was ministering, I couldn't hardly minister because I just felt so much compassion for this girl. First thing I did was call her out and, and started praying for me for her. And the Lord showed me she had something wrong with her foot and I prayed for her. She was instantly healed. And I said, do you know the Lord? And it turned out she wasn't saved. She was a reprobate, living in sin, living in adultery. Her mother drug her there against her will and she was so touched she got born again. And it's been years and she's now serving God and one of the great members in that church, a real contributing factor. And that all happened because of love flowing out of them. I called a woman out one time in a little church service. Never had seen this lady before. But I just felt compassion going out for her. So I called her out, brought her up to the front. Didn't have a thing to say to this lady. Nothing. And so I started praying for her. And as I was praying, the Lord just showed me that she had been grieving over losing somebody. Somebody had died and that she had been grieving. And when I said that, you could tell that I hit the nail on the head. This woman started crying. And I started praying over her. And I said, you blamed God. You thought it was God's will that this person die. It wasn't God. It was the destroyer that killed that person. And I kept using that terminology. It's the destroyer that killed him. It's not God. God did not fail you. God is faithful to you. And it turned out that this woman's son had died of leukemia just a short period of time before that. And he was a believer and he was trying to believe for his healing. And he saw some benefit. He saw he improved, but anyway, he did die. And uh, there was two people in a town of 70 people that died of leukemia in the same month. You know, the statistics, the odds of that happening are impossible. It was a spiritual force. And this boy, right before he died, was driving into that town and he had his eyes open and saw this vision and there was this huge demonic power over that town oppressing it. And he says, God, what's that? And he says, it's the destroyer. That's who you're fighting. It's the destroyer that's killing you. God tried to give them the answer and they just didn't know about spiritual warfare. They didn't know how to do it. And through this word of knowledge, man, it changed this woman's life. Totally changed her and her changed her family. And it was awesome. And see, all that happens when you begin to start experiencing God's kind of love and start following love, when you are led by love, you're led by God. When you're praying for somebody and all of a sudden you just have a compassion for them, you need to follow that compassion. If you don't have something to share, just call them up and say, Hey, God loves you. I had somebody do that to me one time, and I guarantee you it changed my life. Just somebody saying, God loved me, because I was sitting there wondering if God loved me. I called a woman up that was responsible for getting me in the ministry. Her and her husband changed my life. Hadn't seen them in 10 years. Prayed for them. Called them up. And when she heard it was me, she hung up. 
And I thought, well, God, I must have missed it here. In five minutes, she called back and she says, I'm sorry. She says, I just so mad. She says, we were quitting the ministry. We were out of the ministry. We were giving up. And I was sitting right here saying, God, if there is a God, why doesn't anybody ever minister to me? Why doesn't everybody... Why are we always having to give? Why doesn't somebody minister to me? And she said, while I was praying, you called. (laughs) Changed their life. Today, they're back in the ministry. And man, they're just hitting on all cylinders and they're doing great. You know what it was? It was love. And you need to learn to follow love. God is love. Most of us minister out of fear and all kinds of things. If you will experience the love of God, you'll be filled with all of the fullness of God. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm trying to get through just a few basic scriptures, and then I'm going to make some real practical applications tonight that I believe will help you. But there's so many scriptures on love, I hate to do a three-series on it and not mention some of these things. So I'm going to try and get through some of these. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, of course, is talking about the love chapter. You know what you can do? We always take these scriptures and nearly always apply it towards how we're supposed to be towards other people. But once again, if God commands you to be this way towards other people, you ought to expect God to at least do towards you what He's commanded you to do towards other people. Verse 4, God's kind of love is kind. Did it ever dawn on any of you that God is kind? Most people think of God as being rude. Most people expect God. Matter of fact, if you look in the Bible at the time that God manifested himself through an angel, some supernatural vision, every, every single time, the first thing they had to say was, fear not. Because everybody just thinks that, man, when God manifests himself and they get in the presence of God, they feel guilty, they feel unworthy, and they immediately fear the wrath and the punishment of God. God constantly had to tell people, fear not, fear not. They appeared unto, the angel appeared unto Mary and says, The Lord is with thee. You are highly favored. And she cast in her mind what manner of salutation or greeting this should be. In other words, if he would have come and said, You sorry thing, she would have said, Oh, it's God. But when she comes saying something good, Oh, what is this? Who is this? You know, we're just programmed to expect the worst. When the Lord was showing me some of these things, the very week that God showed me for the first time that I was righteous and that I was forgiven and that I was clean and that I was, God was totally in love with me, the first time that became a reality. I had meditated all week long on that. I saw it intellectually, but I couldn't get my feelings in gear. I'd spent all of my life believing I was a worm, that it was just the grace of God, that He didn't totally wipe me out and that it took all that God had to be able to tolerate me. I certainly didn't believe he loved me and that he liked me. And I remember I was just so overwhelmed by the things that God was showing me. I walked out into my backyard and sat on the uh, porch. And uh, I had a dog that I'd gotten my mother when I went to Vietnam. The dog's name was Honey. And it was uh, three-fourths German Shepherd and one-fourth Chow. I got it to be a watchdog. And it's a mean-looking dog. But the truth was it had been beat with a trace chain. And this dog... It would look mean, it'd sound mean, but about the time it got about five, ten feet from you, it'd stop, roll over on its side, and begin to whine and scoot up to you like this. Every time. I mean, I had this dog for seven or eight years, and this dog would every time roll over and whine like that. And uh, I never did like that. People would think I was the one that beat the dog. And I always have to explain to people I've never beaten this dog. Anyway, here I was... meditating on how much God loved me and trying to get it through. But I was saying, but God, I can't just come boldly before the throne of grace. 
Man, I was conditioned to giving God all of my... I felt like if I didn't mention my sins, God would. Man, I had to mention them real quick. I'd always start by asking God to forgive me of everything I could think of so that he wouldn't wipe me out. And anyway, as I was thinking about that, this dog ran up, rolled over on its side, got to whining, and ro- and I just, I usually didn't do this, but I lost my temper at that dog. And I said, one time, honey, and you know, it's hard to get mad at your dog when it's named Honey. <laughs> that was the color of this dog, by the way. That's how I named that. And anyway, I said, one time, honey, I'd like you to come up to me like a normal dog and jump on me and act like I wasn't going to beat you and... And I wasn't mean. I said, I'd like you just to jump up on me or do something. And while I was saying all of this, the Lord said, that's exactly the way I feel about you. (laughs) He says, one time, I'd like you to act like I really love you and like I've redeemed you instead of you coming and begging and bowing and scraping and talking about how sorry you are. He gave me an illustration. It's just like a gnat sitting on the back of an elephant. He says, what you do is always talk about how small and insignificant you are. He says, quit talking about how sorry you are and talk about how big the elephant is. Start talking about how great I am instead of how sorry you are. That's what most of us do when we come before the Lord. It's just, we've been conditioned that our prayer time with the Lord is, oh God, forgive me. And we come in and it's just a time of repentance. Many of you don't feel like you've truly prayed unless you've cried and bawled and squalled and had a heart-rending time. And then you wonder why you don't like prayer. (laughs) You wonder why you have to force yourself to pray. When I first started hearing teaching on prayer and praying an hour a day, I was determined I was going to do everything it took to come to know God. And I actually would set my watch start praying at a certain time and pray for an hour and then two hours and three hours and four hours and I'd force myself and make myself pray like that. And it was good to a degree. It was a discipline. And of course, you're going to have some good things happen being in the presence of God. But as a whole, most of the time, I had to force myself to pray. It was not fun. And I actually got to where times I dread the time that it was coming up to pray. I'd actually get, if it was 7 o'clock, you know, that I was going to go pray, I'd start thinking at a quarter till 7. Oh, God. An hour and a half, four hours worth of prayer. Oh, Lord. And one day I was thinking about this and thinking about how terrible it was, and the Lord said, don't worry. He says, I start dreading it 30 minutes before time. It's amazing how we get into religious exercises and we start doing it, not motivated out of love, but we start doing things trying to get God to love us. There are many of you that the reason you pray isn't because you love God and you like spending time with Him, but you pray so that God will love you and that God will accept you. Do you know if you're doing it motivated by anything other than God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. That's what it says right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're praying in tongues and you aren't motivated by love, it's sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. If you've got all faith so that you can remove mountains and you don't do it motivated by God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. If you're studying the Word as something like a lever on God, God, I'm going to get in the Word and I'm going to study an hour a day until, praise God, you bless me. It'll profit you nothing. Some of you think, brother, see, our emphasis has been on actions. Actions are all important. God says that He looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. God is more concerned about your motive than He is your actions. 
Am I telling you not to pray? No, but I'm saying you need to pray motivated by God's kind of love. Am I telling you not to study the Word and not to go to church? No, but you've got to do it with the right motive to be able to get the right results. Your motive is more important than your actions. And if you're doing something to get God to love you, it's sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I've actually, before, I've got a Bible reading plan that I go through where I read the Bible once a year or sometimes two or three times a year, depending on how fast I go. And if I'm at a meeting like this, I've actually, uh, before, like when I was in England a couple of weeks ago, we would stay up and minister to people till 2 o'clock in the morning and have to get up at 4 o'clock to go somewhere. And I'd sleep in the car during the day. And that's the way that we ministered for two weeks. I didn't have time to read those scriptures. You go two weeks without reading that, and I mean I'd have a hundred chapters to read in one day. And so I'd, you know, go through the ritual and say, Lord, I'm asking you to speak to me as I study the Word today. And then I start reading. And man, on the second verse, God starts speaking something to me. I have thoughts come that I have never thought of before. All of a sudden... I, I push the scriptures back and start thinking, and God starts revealing things to me, and God's speaking to me. And I've actually had this happen before that I said, whoops, I've got a hundred chapters or whatever to read. And I'll throw that thought aside and go back to reading. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading the Word. And he says, why? I said, so you can speak to me. <laughs> and then it just got quiet. And I got to thinking, here was God speaking to me. And in effect, I said, God, don't interrupt me. I'm reading the Word. I got to read a hundred chapters today. I had not got time for you to speak to me. Don't interrupt my Bible study. How dare you speak to me? You know, it changed my life. And it was just about three years ago that I spent, some of you think this is terrible, but I spent one entire year study in Ephesians 4, 17 through 23. Those are the only scriptures I studied for one solid year. Now, I would study other scriptures that related to it. I'd cross-reference it and do that. But I mean, those are the scriptures I turned to every time I studied those verses for one solid year, and it transformed my life. It's one of the most productive years study in the Word that I ever had. What's that? Seven or eight verses. Transform my life. I've got about six or seven tape series out there that have saved thousands of people's lives through spending uh, a year meditating eight verses. Changed my life. You know, I've come to realize that, man, we have all of these religious things that um, are hindrances to us relating to God. Man, loving God, if God is speaking to you on the first word of the first verse... Stop and let God speak to you. And if He speaks to you for a year through one verse, let Him speak to you. That's what it's all about. Not how much you read. Not whether you get to say, I read the Bible in a year or whatever. Making contact with God is what counts. Brothers and sisters, a lot of our religious exercises are not pleasing God. They're for our benefit. They're to save our ego. You need to get back to just being real and legit with God. So see, he's talking about all of these things have to be done motivated by God's kind of love. And down here in the 13th verse, he says, Now about a faith, hope, charity, or God's kind of love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Well, what a statement about God's kind of love. Faith is important. Vern's teaching on faith. I heard him this morning teach on faith. It's good. You need to come in the mornings if you can and listen to this teaching on faith. Faith is wonderful. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But as powerful as faith is, love is superior to faith. Faith actually works by love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Hope is a powerful force. 
But love is greater than that. Man, love is a powerful force. And the sad thing is, most of us have been deficient in this very area of understanding God's kind of love. Look over in Romans chapter 8. In verse 31, it says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If we could get that verse, if we could really understand that verse, that's kind of summarizing a lot of the things I've said these last few sessions. If you could understand the love that God had towards you, that He died for you when you were a sinner, you didn't have anything to offer God. God didn't look at you and think, I cannot live without them. He looked at you and says, they can't live without me. He gave His love to you because you were the one that was desperate, not Him. God loved you, and if God loved you so much that He gave His Son for you, how could you ever believe that He would deny you anything that you need in this life? Again, it takes religion to pervert things and to convince people that God wants you saved from hell, so much so that He'd send His Son to die and save you from hell, but He wouldn't save you from sickness, He wouldn't save you from poverty, He won't save you from depression and discouragement. God wills those things to teach you something. That is totally senseless. It's mindless. It makes no sense at all. It is illogical, and it takes religion to pervert things and get people to believe that a loving, kind God who would die for you would turn around and smite you with the cancer to teach you something. Defies logic. Boy, that's an awesome statement here. If he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, if I sacrificed one of my sons for you, and I loved you enough that I literally had my son die in your place... And you came to me and say, well, thank you for your son dying. And I know that you did that so that I could be saved. But does it mean that you love me enough that you'd heal me? Or that you would bless me or something? You know, it would actually be an insult to me. I mean, it's such a huge sacrifice. How could you doubt that anything is yours? If I loved you enough to sacrifice my own son. Actually, doubt is an indictment against God. It's actually a slam against God. It's a statement that you aren't sure about the nature and the character of God. Those of you who struggle with doubts, you can look at it from a thousand different directions, but the bottom line is it's really quite an indictment against God. If I told you that you could have my Bible, or if I told you that you could have my car or anything, and then you came up to me and said, can I really have your car? Would you really give that to me? You know what? It's a statement that you don't really believe I meant what I said. It's a statement against me. It's not just a statement about you. It's a statement about what you think of me. When we're doubting that God will give us something, it's because we haven't really understood the love that He has for us. We do not have experiential working knowledge of the love of God. The love of God will eradicate doubt in your life. It'll make you filled with all the fullness of God. It goes on to say in verse 33, it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Once again, based on the fact that God loves us. If God really loves us, then how's God? How's anybody going to be against us? If God is for us, how can anybody successfully be against us? God Almighty is for you. How is anybody going to be against you? 
If people rejecting you hurts you and it affects you to the point that it makes you ineffective and makes you depressed and discouraged and gives way to all kinds of things, it's because you haven't really come into understanding how much God loves you. When I first got turned on to the Lord, like I told you, I had a tremendous experience of God's love, and it cost me everything. My mother rejected me. Amen. For over two weeks, she wouldn't talk to me, and it wasn't because she hated me. She just didn't understand it. Now she works for me, and, and she's a, a total blessing. God has really restored the relationship. But my mother at first rejected me. I was kicked out of my church. I was disfellowshipped from the church that I was brought up in. I was rejected by everybody I knew except two people. There was two friends that I had, and that's just basically it. I was rejected by everybody, and you know what? Who cares? Man, God loved me. It was like, man, who are you to reject me? God Almighty, the King of Kings, loves me. Who cares about you? That's a little overstated, but you understand what I'm trying to get across. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I had a, a deal where... Anyway, I hadn't got time to really explain this, but I had a wonderful time in Vietnam and a terrible time in Vietnam all at the same time. I had had this experience where I knew that God loved me, and because of that, I was so caught up in the fact that God loved me, and my mind was so stayed upon God that I literally was just about immune to everything that was around me. It was just like I was in a bubble. I was protected. Matter of fact... Many years later, it was here in Chicago, I had a man come give me a book on Vietnam that had the testimony of 12 different Vietnam vets. And he gave this book to me and autographed it. His testimony was in there. And he asked me to read it. And I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I read it. So I, when I got back to the place where I was staying, I started reading the book. I read his testimony first, and it was interesting. So I read another one, and I wound up staying, all, staying up all night long reading that book. And the thing that struck me was, see, I never had the withdrawals from Vietnam. I've never had the problems that other people talk about. It was, it was a super positive experience in my life. I came out of Vietnam a thousand times better off, more in love with the Lord. I grew tremendously, etc. And so I never really related to other Vietnam vets that had all these terrible things happen. But when I got to reading that book, I was shook because it was... Uh, it was exposing what happened from the unbeliever's standpoint. And then after they got back from Vietnam, they got saved. And I was amazed because three of the people in that book were there the same time I was there. And two of them were in my division. And one of them, when I got to reading this book, I was there. What he was writing about. I was a chaplain's assistant. And I flew in with the chaplain, and we were on this hill the day before it was overrun. And while we were there, in an area that was not as big as this auditorium, we took a, something like 175 mortar hits in about six hours in a space this size. You could see the muzzle fire from weapons coming up that hill. And this guy was writing about it in that book from an unbeliever's standpoint. And he was describing the terror, the fear that was going on inside of him, the smells and all these kind of things. And 20 years after being in Vietnam, reading that book, fear, terror jumped on me. It took me days to pray it off. And I experienced what I probably should have experienced in Vietnam. But when I was there, I can tell you exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, God, if I die, I know where I'm going, but what about these Vietnamese? And man, I felt the love and the compassion of God flowing out of me. I was praying for these guys. It was a great experience. I was praying for them. I had love and joy and peace flowing out of me. 
And I never even thought about this. I never mentioned it to my mother when I got back. I never mentioned it to my wife when uh, we got married. It wasn't a deal. I never even thought about it until I read it in a book 20 years later. I was literally in a bubble. The love of God just insulated me against things. If you're being overcome by your problems, I can guarantee you one thing. You have not got an experiential understanding of the love of God or it really wouldn't matter. If you know that God loves you, it just really doesn't matter what you go through. I believe in healing. But so what if you weren't healed? Some people, brother, that's unthinkable. I'd never think that. You ought to consider, I mean, is it so bad to die and go to be with God? Paul, because he had a revelation of God's love, he says, I'm in a straight between two. I'm having a hard time staying here, but I guess for your sake, I'll stay here. I guess I'll stay alive for you. You know, when you go to understanding how much God loves you and you really fall in love with God, it just takes a tremendous amount of pressure off of you. They were going to threaten Paul, if you don't quit preaching the gospel, we'll kill you. And he says, glory, amen, praise God, string me up today. You can't, you can't intimidate a guy like that because he was already dead to himself. He was so excited about going to be with the Lord. How do you threaten a dead man? How do you tell him, quit preaching the gospel or we'll kill you? You know the reason some of you or some people are saying, if you don't quit preaching at church, at uh, business, we're going to fire you. And some of you are just under stress and you're stressed out thinking, what's going to happen to me? It's because you don't really understand how much God loves you. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 75... It says that promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south. It's God that puts up one and sets down another. God's your source. Just do what God tells you to do. And if they fire you, who cares? God's got something better for you. They aren't your source. Just do what God tells you. I talked to a guy just recently, a Hindu, or excuse me, a Buddhist, came to my meeting over in Ireland. And he says, I'm seeing all these miracles and things. He says, but I can't become a Christian. My mother would disown me. It would break her heart says, my mother is a strict Buddhist. What, what will happen? And I talked to him for quite a while about it. And he says, but my mother. And I said, are you going to let your mother send you to hell? I said, if you really love your mother, you need to get born again and go share the gospel with her. And he just couldn't understand. And then he came back later and he says, could you pray for me? I got some sickness. And I said, all right, I'll pray for you just to show you that God's real. And he had uh, something. He couldn't move his arm. His shoulder was hurting. And I prayed for him. And instantly he was set free, started crying. He knew that God was real, and I said, now, would you like to get born again? He says, my mother, she would never understand it. <laughs> and you know, that guy never did get born again, not while I was there, because he was thinking about, he was more concerned about other people and stuff. Well, I guarantee you, you ever experience the love of God, it'll get to a place that nothing, nothing can compare with it. That's awesome. I could spend all night talking about that. And verse uh, 34 says, who is he that condemneth? Most of us think it's God. God's the one judging me. God's the one telling me what a sorry thing I am. God's not the one that's condemning you. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. God will never condemn you. It says over in Isaiah chapter 54, talking about the new covenant that we are under, it says, this is as the covenant of Noah unto me saith the Lord. For as I have sworn that the waters would never again destroy the earth, that I would never again destroy the earth with the flood, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with you, angry with you, nor rebuke you. 
For the heavens will be depart, and the mountains be cast into the sea, but my covenant of peace shall not depart from you, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. God has sworn by Himself that He will never be angry with you, nor rebuke you. God is never, ever, 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 ever angry with you. God never rebukes you. God will convict you over sin. If you've missed my teaching Sunday night, I haven't got time to go back and do it. He'll convict you, but it's all done for the purpose of edification. It's never punishment. It's always edification. Anytime you're feeling the wrath and the displeasure of God, you are not feeling God. That's your thinking. It's the devil who's disguised himself and come to you in the voice of the Lord. But God is not angry with you. God is not going to rebuke you. Some of you are thinking, brother, I can't believe that. If I really believe that, if I believe God wasn't angry with me because of the things I do, I'd just go live in sin. Well, you either need to get born again, get your heart changed, or you need to get out from under that stinking thinking in the law. The law will actually make you lust for sin. I got a tape series entitled The Nature of God that will explain that one. Amen. It is not God that condemns it. It's Christ who died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You know, this is what I was talking about. What's going to separate me from the love of God? I went through war. I went through being shot at. I should have been killed a number of times. But you know, it never separated me from the love of God. Man, I had love right while people were shooting at me and, and shooting mortars at me. Most of us put limits on things. We say, oh yeah, I believe that I'm supposed to experience the love of God, but it only goes so far. If you're in war, if somebody's trying to kill you, 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 you can't have joy and peace. Who said? I had joy and peace, right, as people were trying to kill me. Brother, if you're going through a divorce, you can't have joy and peace. Who said? I told you that. I think it was Sunday night. You ought to rejoice, if nothing else, that God's not going to divorce you. You deserve it. You got something to praise God for, even in the midst of divorce. Amen. You can draw a comparison and say, praise God, you're faithful. doesn't matter if you're going through financial problems. The Bible says it in the Father's house are many mansions. He's going to prepare a mansion for you. If you hadn't got any prosperity here, think about heaven and start rejoicing in that. You can rejoice in anything. You need to take the limits off. And when it says here, who will be able to separate us from the love of God? Most of us say, oh, well, yeah, I believe that as long as I don't have any problems. It's talking about in the midst of problems, nothing can separate us. In verse 36, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Boy, these are awesome statements. And if I had time tonight, we could just keep going on and on and on talking about the love of God and what it produces in your life. Brothers and sisters, the love of God is the key to being filled with all the fullness of God. If you aren't operating in faith, if you're in unbelief, faith works by love. Galatians 5, 6, you need a revelation of God's kind of love. If you have been suffering rejection, love is the antidote to rejection. And, it, and it'll overcome anything. Love is the cure for what ails you. Whatever's wrong with you, God's love is the answer. It's the answer in every situation, in all situations. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
I know that there's some of you saying, all right, I see it. How do I experience this love of God? I want to give you some real practical stuff here. This is going to be so simple. This is going to be really practical. Most of you won't like it. But when you start, once you make your case and you understand how important it is to have a revelation of God's kind of love and to experience it, then the immediate question is, well, I believe it. How do I experience God's kind of love? How do I have an experience like what you talked about for four and a half months, being overwhelmed with a sensation, a feeling, an emotion that God loved you? How does that happen? You know, I actually ministered in, in um, Shreveport one year, and I had a woman who came, and I mentioned this just in passing about that experience I had March the 23rd, 1968. And the next day I went over to pray for her mother, and this was a nice-looking lady, but when I went over there, she looked terrible. She had bags under her eyes. Her hair was all messed up. Her mascara was all messed up. She looked like she'd been up all night long. And anyway, I looked at her and I said, Judy, what happened to you? You look terrible. <laughs> and she says, I've been up all night long. She says, I said, if God gave that experience to you, He'd give it to me. And I determined I would not go to sleep until God showed me how much He loved me, until I had an experience. And she grabbed me like this desperate woman. And she said, tell me how God manifests that kind of love to you. And she was, she was not in love, amen. <laughs> She wanted to know, how do you get a revelation of God's kind of love? I want an experience like that. And you know what I told her? I said, I wouldn't wish that kind of experience on anybody. It'll ruin you. Shook her. She says, what? Did you know that that experience I had is unusual? The vast majority of people do not have it. And God doesn't intend for most of you to have it. God doesn't want most of you to have that kind of an experience. And I know that's really disappointing to some people. But you know what? I've read a lot of testimonies. I've talked to a lot of people and stuff. And the vast majority of people that have a real overwhelming emotional experience, it'll ruin you. And it nearly killed me. Because for four and a half months, I was caught up into the presence of the Lord. It was wonderful. But you know what? I didn't know the Word I just had this emotional experience. And when it wore off, and it always wears off. Did you know God doesn't want you to live on that level? I know some of you, this is blowing your mind because that's what you're after. You're after some utopia to where you just go around and you feel God's love all of the time. God doesn't want you to live on that level. If you really get to know God through the Word, God is a humble God. God is a God who is subtle. He wants people to accept Him by faith. You know, we were visiting on this at lunch today, but there's some people I was talking to that they never seem to be the one that gets the prophecy. I even had a woman come up last night, and she said she was talking to me, and I just told her, I said, well, you just need to believe the Word and go on. And she got upset, and she says, you prophesied to the woman right in front of me, and says, this happens every time nobody ever prophesies to me. What's wrong? She was upset. She says, I came to get a word. Did you know God really does not want you living that way? I'm one of these that when I go to meetings, I never get a word. They'll prophesy over everybody on the road except me. They'll skip me every time. I mean, I very seldom get anybody to prophesy to me. And at first, it used to really bother me. And it's a long story. I've got a tape entitled, uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist's Doubt. You need to get that tape. Boy, it really transformed your life. It's a powerful teaching. 
But God says that there's a greater blessing, a greater anointing on the person who just believes the Word without having some physical or visible manifestation. You know the people that God loves most, the one that He has faith in that you are getting into the Word, God will intentionally let you get things the hard way because faith is more pleasing to Him. If God wanted to, He could write His name on every cloud that passes over. He could have every dog that walks by bark out, Jesus is Lord, or tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. God could manifest Himself in a way to you that I guarantee you it wouldn't take any faith. Why doesn't God just make people? When Jesus rose from the dead, why do you think He never appeared to a single person except people who were already Christians, people who were already believers? There isn't one account of Him appearing to an unbeliever. Not the way I'd have done it. If it had been me, first person I would have appeared to would have been Pilate. I'd have woke him up. I'd have shook that bed and said, Hey, Pilate, are your hands clean now? Or I'd have gone to some of those soldiers that blindfolded him. He says, If you're the Christ, prophesy. Man, I'd have gone to them and said, Would you like me to tell you something? Man, Jesus could have made the Roman Empire just bow the knee right then. He could have converted the world. That's the way most of us would have done it. We would have manifested, man, to the very people that crucified us. We'd have walked right up to them and shown, I'm alive from the dead. Do you believe now? That's the mindset that we've got. Jesus never appeared to a single unbeliever because it wouldn't have taken any faith. They would have had to have believed on Him. But their heart wouldn't have been changed. There wouldn't have been free will. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. God doesn't want you living on a plane to where it doesn't take faith. To relate to Him. Faith. God is a God of faith. God loves faith. God likes people to respond to Him by faith. Now, is that to say that He won't give you any physical proof or evidence? No, He will enough to give you a basis, a foundation for your faith. Probably every person in here can point to some things that you've seen the power of God manifest so that it satisfies you intellectually. God gave you a mind. He doesn't expect you to be mindless, brainless. But ultimately, faith is the issue. He'll give you enough so that you can believe. But I guarantee you, God does not want to prove Himself to the degree that it takes no faith. You know, I ministered in Charlotte and I saw a woman healed who was crippled, had these things on her feet. She's a Presbyterian, brought there against her will. God called her out. She got healed. It was miraculous. Took those things off, started walking. It's now been five, six years. She's still totally healed of that. And uh, anyway, it was so miraculous. This man, his son, used to be a believer going to church, but he got dissatisfied and he walked away and not even sure that God exists. And he went home and told his son. His son was so excited. He says, you tell that man that if he'll come and pray for me and if I can see a miracle, I'll believe. And you know, my first reaction was, well, man, let's get it on. I'll just pray for this guy and we'll prove it. And as we were going over there, the Lord spoke to me about, you know, the rich man who went to hell saying, Lord, send back my brothers or send Lazarus back and let him witness to my brothers. And he says, they have the Moses and the prophets. Let him listen to that. And they said, but it, they don't believe the word. But if somebody rose from the dead, they'll believe. He says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophet, they won't believe though one is raised from the dead. And, you know, I told this guy, I said, hey, I'm not going to go over here and try and do something that I don't believe is God's will. I said, that man can come to the church service and he can listen and hear if he wants to, but I'm not going to go over there and, and uh, put God to the test. He says, if he wants to believe God, that's fine. You know, that's the way that God is. God's a humble God. He could have been born. He could have come on a space shuttle. 
I guarantee you, God's got enough ability. He could have made a space shuttle or some even grander entrance than that. Instead, he came and was born to humble parents. You know, it took faith for Mary to believe that what had happened was really real. It was natural. But it was supernatural. It took faith to perceive that. It took faith to believe that Jesus was God because he was physical. He was human. He didn't have a halo around his head. It took faith. But you know, most people today are trying to get to some realm to where, man, they, they want to get beyond their faith. People are, they start out in ministries, they start out believing God and walking by faith, and they're doing everything they can to get out of a lifestyle of faith. Instead of waiting on God to supply their needs supernaturally, they just want to have somebody give them a million dollars so that they'll never have to believe God again. That's not the way that God wants to do it. I've prayed, I know, He told me. <laughs> God wants me to live to where it takes faith month to month, where I don't have five years' worth of income piled up so that I don't have to believe God. God desires for us to walk by faith. God can do things differently, but He wants faith. The point that I'm making is, God isn't wanting to give you some relationship to where you just are so overwhelmed with feeling and emotion that it takes no faith. I'm an example of a person that had an experience like that, and I have no reason why it happened to me. I don't know why it happened. I don't know why it left. But I, I really believe that God didn't want me living that way forever. Some people experience it for a week. I experienced it for four and a half months. But you know when it wore off, panic set in. I was still experiencing God's love during this period of time I went to Vietnam, but at the same time, panic was there. And dissatisfaction, not dissatisfaction with God or with anything in the natural, but once you've tasted of something like that, how do you go back to being normal? I couldn't do it. And you know, I spent 13 months in Vietnam asking God to kill me. Not because I was miserable over something physical, but because I couldn't stand being normal again and not experiencing this overwhelming presence of God. And I spent 13 months asking God to kill me. I suffered tremendous depression and discouragement in between my bouts of knowing that God loved me. And you know, I finally out of desperation after 13 months, my lightning fast mind figured it wasn't going to happen. And out of desperation, I had to do something. I started reading the Bible. And I didn't enjoy it. It was not fun. I made myself do it because it was either read the Word or get pulled into all of this sin and perversion and stuff that was over there. So I started studying the Word 16 hours a day. I did not enjoy it. I had to make myself read it. But you know what? As I started reading it, the Word started teaching me some things and the Word started changing my attitudes and I began to start feeling not this ecstatic joy and presence of the Lord that I had for a brief period of time, but just a peace and a confidence, confidence that I didn't have before. It began to overwhelm me, and it began to take the place of just an emotion. And you know what? It has become more precious to me. I would not trade the knowledge, the revelation of God's love, the understanding that I have. I wouldn't trade it now for one second of that emotion that I had. What I have is infinitely greater. Most people, when, when you talk about the love of God and you build up and show them that it's an experiential knowledge, most people say, how do I experience it? What they're saying is, how do I feel it? Brothers and sisters, that's the wrong question. And I know some of you are just, uh, all of your circuits are frying on this one because most people, feeling is everything. 
feeling, emotion has become God to our generation. Most people believe that you can test the validity, the truth of anything by feelings. If I don't feel love for this person, it's just gone. What can I do about it? Love is not a feeling. If you don't feel God's love, that has zero, zip, zilts to do with whether or not God loves you. It has nothing to do with God's love. Your feelings are not an accurate test of anything. Let me share something with you. This will change your life if you can receive this. Your feelings are only symptoms of the way you think. Your feelings follow your thought life directly. Again, i got a three-tape series on emotions out there. Harnessing your emotions. That will go into more detail and explain this. But you know, your emotions are not based on reality. Your emotions are based on perceptions. On the way you think. If I was to come up to you tonight, and if I lied to you, there was no truth in what I said. And if I said, your husband or your wife or your child or your father or your mother or somebody... Just got killed in a car wreck. They're dead. I'm sorry to tell you. You know, even if it was a bold-faced lie, there is no chemical fact, no realm of reality that is going to make something take place. You would experience emotion based on the way you think, not based on reality, but based totally upon your thinking. If you believe that, you'd experience grief. Sorrow, sometimes anger, bitterness towards God. Some people, if they're self-centered, would instead of thinking about the other person, would think, what about me? What's going to happen to me? I don't have insurance. How am I ever going to make it? Your reaction would vary based on your thinking. If you knew that I was lying to you, you'd experience anger at me for pulling something like that on you. Your emotions are based 100% on the way you think not on reality. The reality is, and I've shared hundreds of scriptures the last few nights, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. God loved you independent of who you are. He loved you before you loved Him. He loves you even more now that you were born again. He's proven it through the death of His Son. He's proven it in His grace and His mercy to you. He said nothing will separate you from the love of God. God's love is not based on performance. You've got proof after proof after proof after proof. God loves you all of the time regardless how good, how bad you are. God's love is a choice that He makes and the only thing that causes your emotions to go up and down is your perception of that. God's love never fluctuates. It's not a matter of, oh God, I've got to feel your love. It's not a matter of feeling. If you would take the truth and begin to meditate on the truth and you think day and night on the fact that God Almighty loves me, you begin to renew this little peanut brain up here and tell it that something is true beyond what you can feel. Now, I don't care how I feel. God's Word is true. And you think on the fact that God Almighty loves you. You meditate on the Word. You know what will happen before you know it. Your emotions will change. And you don't just do this long enough to get your emotions to change and say, Oh, that's what I was after. I feel the love of God. So now you leave off the Word. No, if, if you're doing that, see, your heart wasn't pure. Your motives were incorrect in the first place. You need to get to a place where God, I don't care how I feel. It's a fact. It is a done deal. God loves me. 
And God loves me regardless of what I've done, regardless of what I'm going to do. God Almighty loves me. Nothing will ever separate me from it. Nobody will ever convince me otherwise. I don't care what my hormones say. I don't care what anybody says. Amen. God loves me. And that's what I believe. And that's what I'm sticking to. And you think that day and night, and you know what? Before you know it, you will go to experience in love, joy, and peace, and the fruit of the Spirit. It's a byproduct of your thinking. But if your thinking is screwed up, if you're thinking on your problems, you're going to have your problems. If you're, you know, if you're looking at all the negative things in your life, and if you're thinking about that, the life is depressing outside of the Lord. Life is a terminal experience. It's going to kill every one of us someday. Every one of us are experiencing negative things in our life. And if you just want to look at the world, if you want to listen to the world and hear about all the bad news, and if you think about that, and if you listen to people talking about the economic situation, and if the markets are down in Chicago area and stuff, and if you listen to this stuff, it's going to affect your faith. It's going to affect your emotions. Your emotions go with what you're thinking on. Most of us are thinking on depressing things, so you're depressed. But you know what? You go to thinking on God loves you. You meditate in it. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. All you'll have is peace if you keep your mind stayed on the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusteth in him. All of us want perfect peace, but we want it without keeping our mind stayed on it. We're going to sit here and watch television, watch hatred, watch X-rated, R-rated, murder, killing, adultery, stealing, sitcoms that glorify strife and hatred and yelling and screaming at each other. Watch all the bad news. Get all the rotten economic information. Do everything. Fill ourselves with garbage and wonder why we don't have peace. I prayed for it. Peace, grace and peace is multiplied unto you through the knowledge of Him who has called you to glory and virtue. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Peace is tied according to what you think. It's an emotion. Your emotions are tied directly to what you keep your mind stayed upon. If you are not experiencing the love of God, is it because God doesn't love you? No, it's because your mind isn't stayed on it. And it's because you just literally have your mind on the wrong thing. So... Are emotions something that you just totally ignore? No, I don't ignore my emotions. If I'm depressed, if all of a sudden depression hit me, I would immediately say, God, something's wrong. Because I know that you love me. I know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I know this, Father. I know that that's always there. It never leaves. You've always got love. You've always got joy in your heart. It does not fluctuate. And so I'd say, God, I'm feeling something contrary to what your word says, so that means I'm thinking contrary to what your word says. I'm meditating on something. I'm worrying about something I shouldn't be. And so what I'll do, when I feel something negative, it causes me to get back into the word because I don't like negative feelings and negative emotions. But you know what? It wouldn't cause me to think, well... I don't feel that God loves me. I think God quit loving me. My feelings are not true. They are an indication of the way I've been thinking, but they are not an indicator of truth and reality. The truth is many of you don't feel the love and the pleasure of God. So what's the solution? 
to tell yourself that you're wrong. What I'm feeling is wrong. The truth is God does love me. And you start ministering God's love to yourself and saying it. Put these stickers up. That's the reason I printed those things. Put them on a mirror and look at yourself every day and remind yourself God loves me. You don't say things contrary to what God's Word says. You minister it. You think on it. Shut off stuff that's telling you rotten things. Shut off the inroads that Satan has into your life and begin to think only on the Word of God. And if all you think is spiritually minded, all you'll have is life and peace. This is so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. It really is simple. But I guarantee you, it's contrary to the way most people think. Most people think emotions are something that is the locomotive. It's the engine on the train. Emotions are the caboose. It just tells you what all of the other things are doing. It's just an indicator. It's the tail end. It, doesn't, it is not a driving force. If you're depressed, you've been thinking on depressing things. You cannot be blessed and, and prosperous and peaceful thinking on depressing things. And on the other hand, you cannot have depression and discouragement keeping your mind stayed on God's Word. Satan's got to get your mind off of it. So the antidote isn't to say, oh, how can I feel this? Help me, pray for me that I can feel it. No, the, the way to respond is to say, this is truth, what you've said. This is Scripture. And from this time forth... I will not determine whether or not God loves me by how I feel. I'm going to believe what God's Word says, and I'm going to change my feelings and emotions. I'm going to make them get in line. You know, I prayed for a woman. Once I went into a church where the pastor of the church, this was a Baptist church, he had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but he wasn't letting anybody know. He hid it. And one day in Sunday school class, somebody says, Do you speak in tongues? And he said, Yes. And they had a fight erupt. They literally had people taken to the hospital because this pastor admitted that he had spe- uh, spoken tongues and, and it made national headlines and stuff. And finally, on Easter Sunday morning, they had to have the sheriff and deputies stationed every 10 feet around the auditorium with guns because there were death threats. Houses had been burned, cars had been burned, and they threatened to kill him on Easter Sunday morning. So it was such a bad situation, the pastor just got up and says, this isn't worth it, I'll leave, I'll give you the church. And 300 people left with him. And then the rest stayed there at that church. So he invited me to come to this split, the 300-member church. But a lot of the people that came were not in agreement. They just felt sorry for him because of the way people had treated him. And about half of these 300 didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and weren't in favor of it. And so he was compromising. He was letting them sing their old hymns and stuff and, and have a lot of the old form And yet here he was trying to be charismatic. And he invited me in, and so he wanted to really be charismatic. And so he told his song leader, no, you can't lead songs tonight. I'm going to lead them. And he got up and led the choruses the way that we sing. And right after the choruses, this person stood up and says, you should have let Jesse lead the music instead of singing these nursery rhymes. And somebody stood up and, no, and then they started a fight. And they had fight that night. And the church split again. Half of them left. And the pastor was on his knees crying and saying, Oh, please don't leave. I'm begging you. And I was sitting over there on the front row watching all this. And this guy was on his knees. Half the church left. And he just looked over at me and he says, I'm sorry. He says, You can't minister like this. I'm sorry. I said, What do you mean? I said, You invited me to minister. I'm going to preach on strife. And I got up and preached on strife. I said, This is show and tell. Amen. I'm going to tell you how to overcome strife. And so after it was over... I said, anybody here that's been discouraged and depressed, I want to pray for you. And I remember this one fat lady. She's about 150 pounds overweight. 
she came forward and she was crying and her friends had just left, you know, and it was a sad situation. And so uh, I prayed for her. And you got to remember, this is still a Baptist church. And I prayed for this lady. And I prayed all of these scriptures, Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, and peace. I said, God loves you. You got joy on the inside of you. And I prayed my best prayer for her. When I got through, I looked at her and I said, you got joy. She says, by faith, I got joy. And she's still crying. And I knew that she no more believed she had joy than anything. So uh, anyway, it had a center aisle like this. And I grabbed this woman by the hand. And we went running and skipping down the aisle all the way to the back of the church. Actually, I went running and skipping. And I drugged this lady along behind me. And we got to the back of the church. I said, look, we prayed that you'd have love, joy, and peace. I believe you've got it and I'm acting like it. And you're going to keep doing this until you start acting like it and believing it. So then we turned around and I jumped and skipped all the way back to the front. Finally, when we got back to the front, I turned around and started off again. And this lady realized she wasn't going to get out of it until she started acting like she had joy. So she started trying to skip. And here she was, this real fat lady. And it was just funny. It was funny to watch this lady. And pretty soon she got embarrassed. And then she got to laughing. And this woman fell on the floor. This is 25 years ago. This woman fell on the floor laughing so hard they had to drag her out of the church. <laughs> And people started getting happy and started laughing and wild things started happening. It was something else. And you know, most people would look at that and think, well, boy, when you did that, God hit that woman with joy. No, that's not what happened. The truth is that you always have love, joy, peace on the inside of you. But this woman's mind was focused on the problems that night. And what I did was mechanically, physically got her attention off of what had happened and got it on to the Lord, believing and expecting God to do something. And when her mind got on the Lord, then what was already there was able to come out. The truth is that you always have love. God's overwhelming love. I mean, His supreme love for you is inside of you 100% of the time. If you feel it, then it means that you're tuned in. If you don't feel it, it's still there. You just aren't feeling it. You aren't tuned in. It's just like a radio signal. It broadcasts all the time. Sometimes you're turned on and tuned in. Other times you aren't. But God's love is always flowing. It never changes. The love of God, the joy of God is always present. Those of you who think, oh man, I wish I could have joy. You do have joy. Your spirit's jumping up and down and doing flip-flops. Your spirit is rejoicing at what I'm saying because it knows it's the truth. But most of us aren't tuned into our spirit, man. We aren't tuned into what's spiritually true. We're out here in the flesh just waiting on something to jump on us. The truth is that it's already on the inside of you and it's a matter of releasing it. There's lots of times that I've just had to tell myself, I got love, joy, and peace because I know the Word says it. I don't feel it. I don't even want to feel it. You know, sometimes you just think I'd be better off to just throw in the towel and get down and gripe and complain. I mean, just get carnal and get it out of my system. Every once in a while you just think, man, I'm tired of trying to believe God. But you don't do it. And you know what? I've had to stand before and just say, by faith, I believe it. And I'll start praising God by faith. Lifting my hands. I don't feel like it. I feel like I'm a hypocrite. You know until you start realizing that there is a new you and the spiritual me is the real me, you'll feel like a hypocrite saying God loves me. When you're in the flesh, you say, but that's not the truth. I don't feel that God loves me. The truth is you're actually hypocritical when you go by your feelings. 
instead of going by what God's Word says. God's Word says that He loved you so much He sent His Son for you. How, how much more now does He love you? If He didn't spare His own Son, how shall He not with Him also freely give you all things? That's truth. What you feel is wrong. You're hypocritical if you're letting your feelings dominate you. If you're saying, well, I prayed for salvation, but I don't feel anything, you're a hypocrite. You say you believe the Bible. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what's true? What you feel or what God's Word says. What God's Word said is true. So you just believe it. And then by faith, you start saying, Father, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I'm blessed. Thank you that you love me. And you start praising God for it. And you know what? When your brain quits trying to check this out and analyze it, and once you just keep doing it long enough, you'll eventually go to believing what you're saying. And then all of the benefits, the love, the joy, and the peace will flow through you. And they'll come as byproducts. But I guarantee you, once they come, you are already into faith. And faith is now your substance. Faith is now the thing that blesses you, and, and the feelings are incidental. You know, I have great feelings. I have some good feelings. But I honestly don't keep track of them. They aren't important. If I feel good, I enjoy them. If I feel bad, I still am blessed. You know, it's now been... I don't even know how many years, probably 26 years since I've had a bad day. I don't get depressed. Some of you think, brother, you can't choose that. Yes, you can. I get lots of opportunities to be depressed. I've had some things happen while I'm here. I've made three or four phone calls to Scotland today. I've had some serious things happen. And you know what? I'm blessed. Because I choose to be blessed. I got some things going on in my life, but I'm blessed. I choose to be blessed. I don't have bad days because it's my choice. It's your choice. The Lord said in Deuteronomy 30:19, Behold, I call heaven and earth the record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. He says, choose A, choose B. And then in parentheses, he says, A is the answer. <laughs> Boy, this is a no-brainer. God says, choose life or choose death. And then he says, life's the answer. Choose life. He gave you the choice. The devil can't make you depressed. The devil has never made anybody depressed. The devil tempts you with depressing things. And it's your choice whether you're going to think on that or whether you're going to get into the Word of God and think about that how much God loves you. The devil, all he can do is put a temptation in your way. All the devil can do is tempt you. You're the one that has to take the bait. You're the one that has to bite. It's your choice. If you're depressed, you chose to be depressed. If you're defeated, you chose to be defeated. You may not have sat down and said, I choose defeat, but you chose to allow defeat, the things that bring defeat. You chose to think on that instead of thinking on God's Word. If all you think on is God's Word, all you'll have is life and peace. Romans 8, 6. It's tight, but it's right. It's exactly this simple. It is this simple. Brothers and sisters, you got it all. God loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. The only thing that fluctuates is never God. God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. It's your perception that changes. And when your perception changes, your emotions can fluctuate. But all that should be to you is just a warning that, hey, you aren't keeping your mind stayed on God because I'm not enjoying the presence of the Lord. I don't have peace the way that I should. And so what changes? You don't think that God quit loving you or that God moved or that God left you. Instead, you just go back and say, I'm going to get my mind 
back onto the Word of God. I'm going to renew it by the Word of God. And you get back in and start meditating on the Word and love and joy and peace will begin to flow again. I tell you, the things I've shared with you tonight, it took me 26, 27 years to learn. And I'm, I know some of you heard it, but you hadn't got it until you begin to renew your mind and make this a part of you. You'll be tested on this immediately. It may be one of the hardest things you've ever done to walk out of here and implement what I've talked about, but it really is simple. What I've said, it's exactly that simple. God hasn't left you. God hasn't forsaken you. God's faithful. Boy, that blesses me. That has ministered to me more than I could ever tell you all. I know it. And you know, there are special times where you just feel the presence of the Lord that it is so wonderful, it overwhelms you. I, I'm not denying that. And some of you may fail to see the relationship here, but I liken that to like a marriage relationship. You know, when you first got started, when Jamie and I first got married, we used to do silly things. We used to, I used to chase hers through the house and just play with her and do stupid things. Look at each other in a spoon and look at our images in a spoon. And we could do that for hours and just goof around. You know, that was special. That was fun. That was exciting. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, after 23 years, we don't spend hours looking in a spoon anymore. <laughs> Some of you think, well, you lost the love. The spark has gone out of your mirror. That's not so. I love Jamie more today than I've ever loved her. It's a different type of love. It's, it's a mature type of love. And we still sometimes do some silly things. But I mean, it's, it's all we ever used to do is stupid, silly things. Now, that's the exception. In marriage, you have those intimate times. You have the physical relationship that are exciting times and it's wonderful. But you know, you can't build a marriage on that. That's the reason that people that are into nothing but lust can't stay married. I guarantee you, if all there was to marriage is having sex, then people would stay married because they do that. There's more to it than that. You know, the vast majority of time is just being with the person. One of the reasons that I knew Jamie and I were supposed to be married is because she's the first girl I ever went out with that I didn't have to entertain. I didn't have to borrow my mother's car to take her out. She liked my old clunker. I didn't have to entertain. We could sit there for 30 minutes or an hour, not a word being said, and just have a great time being in the presence of each other. She accepted me the way I was. I accepted her. It was supernatural how God put us together. And you know, the vast majority of relationship is just, it's not dynamic. You aren't having a rush all of the time. I started a pregnancy center in Colorado Springs and had some great results out of that. And anyway, I was a speaker at one of the conventions that they put on and a psychiatrist was there talking about teen pregnancy and stuff. And this lady said something that was really interesting. She was given all these scientific terms, but basically she said one of the reasons that marriages fall apart and all of these things is because there are different levels of relationship. And relationship is supposed to start out that boys and girls just like being around each other. The fact that you're with a girl or a girl with a boy is exciting and you get to where you relate on that realm. And then you get to where you, you know, just holding hands is exciting and you relate on that realm. Then you get to where you talk and you get into talk and then you go out on dates and there's all these different levels. And finally, the physical relationship is the ultimate uh, intimacy. But it's, it's this final level up here. And she says that our kids today are skipping all of these other levels and going directly into sexual contact 
And because of it, you can't backtrack. It's like, you know, you don't start jogging first. You start learning how to crawl and do all of these other things. And because people bypass these other things, the only way they know how to relate to a person of the opposite sex is on sexual relationship, and you cannot sustain a relationship based on that. It's all of these other things. That is going to be a very minute part of your relationship. And you know, there's relationships, there's comparisons here with the Lord. There are awesome times. I have been, I could spend all night telling you about some awesome things that have happened in my relationship with the Lord. I've had some great times with the Lord, but you know, they're few and far between. They aren't every day. If God granted some of y'all's wish and tomorrow you had an overwhelming experience and the love of God so overwhelmed you as you got up and studied in the morning that you just couldn't stand it, you know what would happen with most of you? It would be addictive. You would get to where tomorrow, the next day, God would have to do something even better or you'd be disappointed and think, God, why didn't I even feel more of you today? What's wrong? Have you quit loving me? You'd quit basing it on fact. You'd go into how you're feeling. It'd get totally out of the realm of faith. God would get to where He's like a circus animal having to jump through a bigger hoop every time, give you a bigger zing. It's just like a dope addiction. That one high won't satisfy you now. You've got to get a bigger high and on and on. That's one of the reasons God doesn't even bless you with any feeling or emotion is because you couldn't handle it. You'd substitute it for what little faith you got. One of the greatest scriptures the Lord ever spoke to me is in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts where he was talking to Ananias and the Lord said, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here. That may not turn you on, but boy, that scripture rang my bell for months. The Lord spoke to me and he says, How many times have I tried to talk to you and you weren't there? Ananias was there, and there's no other instance in Scripture that shows that God ever spoke to him. He may have never had anything miraculous happen. He may have, but the Scripture doesn't show it. He may have been sitting there and just worshiping the Lord for five years, and then God speaks to him in either an audible voice or a gift of the Spirit or something, and he goes and he is the one instrumental in turning the Apostle Paul around. But you know, that might have been the only time he ever had anything dramatic happen. Most of us have to have something dramatic happen every day or we think, God, what's wrong? Do you not love me anymore? It's mercy that God doesn't give you any experiences because it would ruin you. It would destroy you. It's true. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't put a goosebump above what God's Word says. We shouldn't want to trade in the Word of God and the truth for just a feeling for an emotion, for a rush. That's an indication, and I'm saying this in love. It's not an indictment against an individual. It's against our society, against our generation. Our generation is one of the most immature generations that has ever walked on the face of the earth. It has to feel good all of the time. Only people who are living in super prosperity have the luxury of feeling good. I've traveled the world, and most people don't have that luxury. They're working day and night trying to struggle and make a living and they don't have the luxury of worrying about their feelings. They're trying to feed their family and just survive and get by. It's a bored, pampered, spoiled generation that has to feel something all of the time. We need to grow up pull our thumb out of our mouth, throw away our blanket and begin to believe what God's Word says and just... If you don't feel good, change your feelings by thinking on the Word of God.